shit 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 show it's a fucking shit show okay guys welcome back to shit show saturday and we're joined by a really special shit show um a shit show who is one of those gals on the facebook that uh that uses their their middle name (laughs) as their last name welcome amy dawn thank you thank you yes i am guilty of that yeah i'm sure where i am in life i dropped the last name (laughs) guilty guilty lord so what do you want played when you walk into a room i'm a survivor by destiny's child every time i i think the very first shit show um saturday that you did as soon as you asked that question, that song came immediately popped in my head. head. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know about all the other, but like the chorus. Mm-hmm. And that's me. That's, I'm just like, there's a part of me that lives inside of me that just, no matter how bad things get, it's just, I'm, I'm a survivor. So what is your favorite carbohydrate? Can I do two favorite carbohydrates? Because I feel like there's the healthy carbohydrate that I like, but then there's also like the junky one. Let's hear it. Okay. So the healthy carbohydrate would be bread. I like any kind of bread, but I typically buy like the sprouted, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, from Costco, that type of thing. And I like it toasted, pretty toasty. And pretty toasty. Pretty toasty. Yeah. And then my favorite junkie carb is like any sort of baking, squares, baking. Oh, it's just all so good. So. What do you mean squares and baking? Like a lemon square? Like a cookie? Yeah, like like a lemon square. Or in Canada, they do like Nanaimo bars. What's that? A butter tart. That's not a square. A Nanaimo bar is a, it's a kind of a chocolatey coconut base. And then on top of that, there's like this hard sort of custard, Mm. like really, really sweet custard. And then it has chocolate on top. So you have to Google it, but they're very tasty. Um, so what about cheese? Well, because of my Dutch background, it's Gouda or in Holland, they pronounce it Gouda, but I always pronounce it Gouda. Yeah. My kids go to a kind of Dutch Christian school. And so they actually have like a grocery order system thing. So I'll buy like once a month, I'll buy a quarter of a wheel and I usually get the mild because it takes me a little while to eat it. So by the time it's, you know, if you buy the medium, it tastes good when you buy it, but then it gets kind of dried out. So mild Gouda is my favorite. Yeah. Um, okay. So condiment. Hot sauce. Brand. I would say Frank's hot sauce. You know, they used to have the commercial, like I put that shit on everything. Oh, Amy, like, you just had shit. Oh, shit is not a swear word to Dutch people. I don't okay. know if you know that. Like people within my Dutch um, community, it's it's a Christian community, but they drink and smoke and, and say shit and say shit a lot. Yeah. But you but even like hell is like a swear word to you. Yeah, in certain ways it is. But I still like I actually use it because I think hell is actually that's a whole rabbit trail. But I I believe that hell is kind of anything that steals us from our connection to God. Mm -hmm. So um, 
get the hell out is a very applicable saying in my world. I wouldn't ever say that to somebody, but I'm like, you know, yeah, there's lots of words that technically I'm not allowed to say or that I, I feel uncomfortable saying, but there are situations in which, you know, in even in my prayers to God, I have gotten really upset and said some words that in when my brain is calm, I don't naturally gravitate towards. So when did you find out that you were an adult child? I found out I was an adult child probably, I think when your podcast kind of just started. So about a year, has it been about a year, year and a half? Um, did I know that before that, that I had some stuff, you know, that I had a hard childhood? Definitely. Did I know that, um, you know, some of that stuff carried into my character? For sure. Um after I hit my emotional butt, as you call it, I think that, and then I started, yes. And then, Oh, when, um, when you were doing your TikToks and saying like the laundry list things, I was like, this is me to a T like so many of them just, it just resonated over and over and over again. So I would say like in the last year I heard the term and I started really just through you hearing what the symptomology was of it. And I was like, yeah, that's me. Were you aware that you had trauma? Yes and no. Um, I'm a very resilient person. And so I knew that bad things had happened in my life, but I really did not realize the impact that it was having on me. Mm -hmm. Mother's Day is almost here. And you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. So let's talk about this emotional, but. Um, so I have been married for 20 years. I'd been in relationship with my husband, you know, for 23 years. I think I got married when I was 21. Your baby. Um, yeah, that's just kind of like how it goes. The culture in, you know, where I'm from, you know, within this specific kind of Dutch church culture. It's still common. There are more women who are not doing it, but yeah, I was really young at the time. And I had tried many different ways to deal with certain things that my husband did. And we had child services into the home because of some fighting that was going on between my husband and our oldest son. I had a friend who was kind of watching me waste away Mm. and she suggested, she, she didn't suggest, she said, you're going to call me tomorrow. You're going to tell me what time your counseling appointment's at. So I'd booked an appointment for counseling. I'd gone to a couple counseling uh, sessions and I was like working through a few things and I had gone to counseling probably for like four or five months. And this one specific night, my husband kept talking to me, like talking, talking, talking. 
and trying to resolve something. And he's really more talking at me than talking to me. And I was trying to soothe him. That was kind of our dynamic is like, he would have these problems and I would try to help him. And that particular, and sometimes it would go really late into the night in which he would just go on and on and on. And he wanted me to bring him. I know what he wanted. I don't think it was, he was really cognizant of it, but he, he wanted me to bring him to a place of peace and nothing I said, or I could do could help him get to that point, that specific night. And I just basically begged him to please stop talking. And then of course, you know, he felt like I was pushing him off and I wasn't being supportive and, you know, he's getting irritated. And so I, I, started to revert back into something I did as a child, which is to plug my ears, like to mm -hmm. actually like push the piece of tragus mm -hmm. cartilage there and you push against your ear. And what I learned as a child was that like after a while you can actually hear things. So if you just wiggle your finger a little bit, then it'll stop. Like then you won't be able to hear. And so I was doing that. And then he kept going on and on. And I just said, you know, you need, you need to pray. Like there's nothing I can do. I, I can't, but I need to go to sleep, please. And he kept going. And then I, I said to him, I'm not angry at you, but you need to stop. You need to stop. So then he, he reached over to touch me. And I, I felt like, like I just had this natural response of like jumping out of my skin, which I'd never had that response before. But when he reached out to touch me in the dark, I thought, okay, he's going to want me to soothe him in other ways. And I just could not bring myself to, to do that. And so I said to him, you know, I'm, I'm not angry, but I'm going to go sleep on the couch and more things happen. Basically. I just said like, Hey, if you don't, if you don't stop, then I'm going to call like one of the elders to come because I, you know, I was trying to do boundaries and, you know, he said, well, let me pray with you. Let me pray with you. So I, of course, like I just wanted to stop. So I said, okay. And then he went to bed and then the next morning, the kids actually had like a, a, a snow day that day, which unfortunately happened. And I really tried to make things as best, you know, as happy and mm -hmm. peaceful as possible in our home. I really tried to keep our kids from hearing anything. And he came out into the, the hallway and he said, Amy, I'm really sorry about what happened last night, but you, but you, and I, I just felt like this soon. I literally felt like an, a tsunami was just going to come and swallow me up. And so I got up and I walked past him and I went into the bathroom and I, throughout my relationship, I always went into the bathroom to look myself in the mirror and be like, you know, get my, you're a survivor on and just be like, mm. you, I would, I would look at myself and say, you know, you're tough. You're, you've got broad shoulders. You're strong. You're this, you're that. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I started crying just started crying and I think I was having some sort of a panic attack too because the crying turned into groaning mm. the groaning turned into screaming mm. and then it turned into like me just saying all the things I was never ever going to let him do to me ever again mm. and he got I wouldn't let him open the door so he sent one of our children over which now for me is just heartbreaking in the moment I was just in the spiral of it but he you know I said you need to get the phone for me and he got me the phone and I called my friend and I called my pastor and I just said you, you got to come and get me I can't do this no more I just can't do this no more
I'm tired. And um, one of my, I called up a counselor too. And, and I said to her, um, I can't do this anymore. And she said to me, you can do this. You're strong. And I said, I'm not, I, I need to lay down on a stretcher and other people need to carry me for a while. Cause I'm, I'm not strong. Like I don't try to convince me I'm strong right now. And that was my, that was, it was a horrible, horrible emotional rock bottom. And from there, I've just been really working on myself and my self-awareness. Prior to that, that, that evening or that experience that next day, was leaving him like ever really a, an actual possibility in your head? It, it became a possibility in my head probably about six months beforehand. But leaving was never an option for me, not only because of what I was taught about leaving um, in terms of like what I was taught that God said about you know, leaving or separation. Mm -hmm. Um, but there, there had been a few instances in which, um, you know, I had basically said to him, like, if, if you don't stop this, you're going to be alone. Mm -hmm. Like you're going to be alone. You can't continue to treat people this way. And, and, and then them come back. Like, but the, the flip side of a lot of his behaviors was that he was very loving, which now I realize is kind of like a, it's part of a cycle, mm -hmm. but he's very, um, you know, he, ad he adored me in many ways At, or verbally, he would say it. So it's, you know, a little bit of like love bombing type, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. type things. So before that, yeah, it had because about a year and a half, someone had sent me a podcast called Flying Free. It's by a woman named Natalie Hoffman. And it was a podcast for women of faith, um, bringing hope to women of faith who are dealing with emotional, hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. And when she started talking about her, that, like the issues, you know, she started talking about boundaries. And I was like, boundaries? Like, I, I didn't even know you could have boundaries in a marriage. Like, you know, what's mine is yours, what's yours is mine. Like, I just, I just didn't, I, I had zero concept of, of having boundaries for myself and also respecting other people's boundaries. Like, I think overly helping somebody is an overreach of boundaries that I just didn't even realize. Mm -hmm. Doing things in someone else's column of responsibility and not allowing them to do it for themselves or struggle to do it. I think that it was a, like help is one thing, but I had crossed a line in many ways. So I just began to kind of learn and then kind of mull over with the idea. I had started looking for places because one of the counseling, one of the counselors also had said to me, like, I, I just didn't realize it was so bad. And I, I said, you know, he asked me, do you have like an exit plan? So I started looking kind of for apartments. But at that point, I didn't. My husband was asked to leave. Mm -hmm. And then about two months later, I disclosed to him that I had another relationship because I felt bad about that relationship. So I disclosed to him, you know, about this other relationship later on, you know, doing kind of the, um, you know, a, a postmortem on that relationship. I realized that it was coercive, stalking, you know, all kinds of things. But at that time, I, 
I told him and then he moved back into the house and there's just been a lot of, you know, I think some of my ACA things have shown up in that too, in how it all played out. Mm-hmm. It all played out. So let's talk about your childhood. <laughs> talk about my childhood. I could paint you a picture of the most idyllic childhood ever. And I think the one thing about my survivor brain is that my I've noticed that my brain likes to look for the and pay attention to the sunny things in life, the positive things in life, the beautiful things in life. And it's very easily forgets the hard things, the hard things. So I grew up in a little town um, where my father grew up. He was one of 12 siblings. Wow. Um, he and my mom got married. My mom was 16. My dad was 19. They quote had to get married because they were expecting my sister. They both came from trauma. They both, um, my father especially came from a, um, a very religious father who left the Netherlands because he was afraid that his children would be exposed to liberalism. Um, it was a very authoritarian type home. And so it was the father's responsibility to make sure that the children were obedient. My father, I think had some, you know, possible learning issues or whatever. And my grandfather took out a lot of his anger on my father. Um, their story is, is their story to tell, but I, I know that both of my parents came from, um, had abuse in their, in their childhoods. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that they should have gotten married, but at that time, the belief was, and people still hold this belief that, you know, once you have sex, then you are married in the eyes of God and you have to get married. Mm -hmm. And of course, having a child, you know, that was a thing too. So Mm -hmm. they got married, had my sister when my mom was 17, had me at 19, um, four years later uh my younger sister and then they had a a child um henry who passed away and then um a younger or what um nine months after birth he had intestinal issues he was hospitalized for the bulk of his childhood we spent a lot of time in and out of like the, the children's hospital um doing visits and that sort of thing during that nine months do you have, then how old were you then? Like six or? So I was in grade two, uh-huh. I think. I think it was between, no, grade one and two. Between grade one and two, he was, he was born. And then, yeah, nine months later, he passed away. So that was really difficult. So my parents got, got married. So we lived in this house. We had a river near our house. My sisters and I, we would like play. My dad had like lots of gardens, some animals, you know, we, in many ways, it was a beautiful, beautiful childhood. Like I could, we had great Christmases and stuff like that. Um, I did learn very early to, you know, like if you do what people want, like if you're good, then good things happen. And if you're bad, then you get disciplined. Mm. And I didn't always take discipline. I don't know if I felt it was unjust or what it was, but I didn't take it 
the way that we were supposed to, we were taught in church to like take discipline quickly, quietly, you know, obediently. Mm. And I didn't, I, I screamed bloody murder. I don't know. I, don't, I ran, you know, I remember having certain issues with my mother. My mother liked things a very specific way. And I also liked things a very specific way. So for example, like I liked when I wore a ponytail, I liked to have it really tight. Well, if I wore Brett's, I liked it very tight and she didn't. And I remember one time like her chasing me and like, I was going to get a beating basically because she had warned me, if you pull your ponytail one more time to make it tight, you're breaking all your hair and you're going to get, you know, I'm going to cut all your hair off. And so I, I don't even think I did it defiantly. I think I just did it out of habit. And she was really angry at me about that. So they were just like, that was part of that culture is like, it's your responsibility to produce obedient children, especially within the church. Like that's what God is telling you to do is what you're taught. Right. And it's not gentle parenting by any, you know, like my father learned how to obey by being hit. And so if it worked for him, it was going to work for me, you know, like that type of thing. Um, The other thing that I noticed is that I remember one time being woken up in the middle of the night and we had to move out and we like, we, my mom collected us and we moved out and I don't know for how long, but so that was an indication that like there was marriage problems. Oh yeah. No, no. Yeah. Marriage issues. Like we were escaping my father basically Mm. is what was happening. And then nothing was ever resolved or discussed. We were just like, move back in and everything was okay again. I remember one time too, we, we were outside and we were the three of us girls. It was before my brother was, was born and we were standing by this rock and hanging out. And I remember this feeling like we weren't supposed to go back to the house, but I went back to the house. I was a little like defiant and I went back to the house for whatever reason. And I walked in and they were, my parents were standing by the by the counter and there was something about they were screaming about a box of chocolates and I think what happened was my mom had bought a box of chocolates and my it was they didn't have the money for it or whatever and they were screaming at each other and then my father started like throwing dishes Mm. and then I they screamed at me to leave and I left but that was never really dealt with. Like it, it, it just, it was like these bad things would happen. And then we would just kind of like move on. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of alcohol consumption, alcohol is a very common thing in, in the Dutch church that I'm part of. Not everybody drinks it. The kind of the said rule is, you know, that we follow the Bible. You can drink, but you're not supposed to be drunk type mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. I never saw my father drunk at all. Like I, I, I knew that he drank beer. I knew that he made beer sometimes, but I never saw him drunk. But every once in a while, I would hear my parents having these really bad fights. And sometimes my mom would scream. Sometimes people would like, you know, um, leaders like or like elders or whatever from my church, which were usually like uncles of mine. My dad was one of 12. So, you know, we were related to a lot of people there. So, you know, people would come over and they would try to help my parents. And then 
sometimes we would have to move out for a little while or I think during that time my dad moved out possibly sometimes and I just didn't realize that things had changed so um, that was kind of the, the tension in the home and then I was molested by a cousin of mine who was a babysitter mm. and it was a situation looking back where I had he presented an idea to do something I said no he presented kind of like a lesser version of it mm. so then I said no and then he did he presented an even lesser version of what he wanted to do and then I was just like okay and so that was and then he told me that time he's like you know don't tell your parents they won't believe you they'll think really badly of you and I remember walking out of that room the next morning and I think I was only five at the time but I have a memory of standing in the hallway and wondering if I should tell my mom or not mm. and I didn't I didn't did you ever um, tell her so years and years later I I think I was in grade five and I the memory went away for a long time and then the memory came back and I started crying about it my sister would say to me because I shared a room with her and she would say why are you crying or she'd say to my mom Amy's crying at night and I said, um, I'm just crying because our brother died. And I just, and it's true. I, I did used to cry at night. Sometimes I would pray to God that I would be able to hold my little brother again. Like, just let me feel him in my arms one more time. So I would cry about that. And then sometimes I'd make up a silly thing. I had this boy that I liked that moved away. So I was like, I'm actually just crying about, you know, so-and-so. And then one day I was walking with my little sister, which this was not a good thing to do. Like she was probably in grade two at the time. And I just said to her, um, so-and-so asked me to touch his penis. Mm -hmm. That's all. It wasn't what really happened, but it was like a little bit of what had happened. And, you know, haha, isn't that funny? That's so weird. But it felt like a relief. Like I had told somebody and then I remember sitting in the living room and my mom was in the kitchen and my sister who wasn't supposed to say anything I heard her tell my mom and my mom came in to the living room and she's like is that true and I said yeah and so then we sat down and I told her everything that happened and I felt a lot better about it mm -hmm. and um, my parents went and talked with his parents he acknowledged what had been done Wow. And then one time after church, he came over with his sister and he's, and my mom said, um, why don't you go up? This is so weird too. My mom was like, why don't you go upstairs and, and show so-and-so your new Barbie car? So I was like, okay. So I take him up into my bedroom to show him my Barbie car. And he's like, I, I, I'm really sorry for what I did to you. Will you forgive me? And so it's like, okay, yeah, of course, like, I'll forgive you. And what I didn't realize, though, is that even though I gave forgiveness, my body never forgot that. And even like post separation, the last couple of years, I was at my dad's house, and he came over. And I still feel it in my body, my, my body reacts in an energy that is just like screams danger and run. But this is part of my home life is that sort of these dangerous people 
or people that hurt you were always still part of your life. Mm-hmm. Like we went up north with them. We we went all kinds of places. You know, my, you know, in a few weeks I'm gonna have dinner with his parents. And, you know, so there's always this like this pull in me of like giving forgiveness to people, but then my body having kind of like this memory of it that still is really difficult. So and then in my in my childhood, my my parents did end up separating a couple of times due to like all the fighting. My dad used to do this thing in the middle of the night where, where they he would like, I think he became dysregulated for whatever reason. And then he would play music in the middle of the night to soothe himself at ridiculous, like just full volume. Well, what do you full play? Volume. Um, like Johnny Cash. He was like really into Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, mm-hmm. you know, he liked um, country gospel music too. He had a lot of very specific rules about music that we were allowed to listen to. So I was not allowed to listen to rock music, pop music, any of that kind of stuff. Like that felt really, we used to, we had a clock radio and we would like, you know, put our ear up to it, but we weren't allowed to listen to Christian contemporary music. It just, and then it's weird because looking back on it, like listening to some of those songs from Johnny Cash and William Jennings and Chris Christopherson, like, you know, they were not exactly like Jesus-y kind of songs, like morally what upstanding songs. So it's kind of funny, like we sang all these songs as kids and yet, you know, the lyrics were a bit sketchy, but anyway, but he would do that in the middle of the night. And now looking back on it, he was trying to soothe yeah. soothe himself like he was obviously experiencing something hugely emotional and yeah yeah so I also had other like I had boundary issues as a child like um I had another cousin that was inappropriate with me um and the the that common theme of like I said no I said no I said no and then I give in I think partly because I don't want to deal with people's anger and partly because like, I just, I didn't have the energy as a child to like hold a boundary. So that's really been my work is to like hold a boundary. Yeah, it, we, but we did, we did have really great Christmases, holidays, you know, growing up in the church with lots of family and friends. There was this community, grew up going to like great schools. In many ways it was, it was really good, but then they, they would have these fights at night that were just really, and that's where the earplug, the, the plug in the ears thing. And at okay. one point we caught on to the fact that we could phone somebody and that would make it stop. And so I do recall one time they were fighting and we walked over to the pay phone and my father followed us, begging us not like to Like outside? Go. Yeah, like we went outside and we went down the street to a payphone to call one of my uncles to make them stop fighting because it just would not end it just would not it wouldn't end I don't know I don't know how they ever finished a fight but I would just lay there in bed I'd put my pillow over my head I would put my fingers in my ears I would hum I would pray anything to like distance myself and dissociate find a place of peace and I, and for me, that was a big part of my spiritual journey too, is because I always found like 
in that place of dissociation was a place of peace and that I associated with God. And so I would talk to God during that and I would just ask him to please make them stop fighting. But I think that they they triggered each other in different ways and it, it just was not a good a good situation. Or around the age of 17, my, my mom started to say to me that your father is an alcoholic. And I had never, I had an idea of what drunk was and my father was not drunk. And the anger issues that my father had, I always associated with someone doing something bad. So that's why my dad gets angry. Dad gets angry when you disobey the rules. So if you don't disobey the rules, then he won't won't get angry. Yeah. Yeah. And I felt like if my mom would just stop talking to him, like when he was escalated, if she would just stop talking to him, then he would stop yelling. And so um, she started talking to me about, she was going to Al-Anon, I think. Is that the one where spouses Mm -hmm. go to? Yeah. So she started going to Al-Anon and for some reason, she kind of picked me to be the person she was going to try to convince of this. And so Mm -hmm. I, she would give me pamphlets and I, I was like, mom, I don't, I don't believe that he's an alcoholic. Like I knew he drank two or three beers a night and that he would sit in his chair. He was not, both of my parents were not emotionally stable or available to us, but I didn't think that was because of alcoholism. You know, when you don't have a a map in your, in your brain, you know, like what is it? Right. And so one night they were having a big fight and they came to the uh, elders came to the house or, and they were probably both my uncles. So maybe they came as just helpers and they came to the house and my dad refused to leave. And my dad had asked us, my dad had come to us and said, do you think that I'm an alcoholic? And we said, no. And we, we had been experiencing some issues with my mother. So I, I really don't like, I hold my perception of what happened in their marriage very loosely because it changes even in my mind. Mm-hmm. Like, I think she definitely had some issues. I see behaviors in her. Like I, I always say it like this. I don't always experience reality the same way that my mom experiences reality so I know that there's something going on there and sometimes she twists things and I'm like I don't know if you're doing that on purpose I don't say that to her but I think to myself I don't know if she's doing that on purpose or if she's doing that you know to manipulate me I don't know but I just I don't even go there I just like note to self that's a little weird um, so I don't <laughs> I don't really know what you know what their their issues were but at that time, I just felt like my father was not an alcoholic. My mom ended up moving out. She took my two siblings with her. I'll also backtrack about when I was like age 12, we were living with my aunt and uncle at the time. We were living in their basement because our house was being renovated. And I woke up one time and um, witnessed some pretty horrific physical abuse that I've never talked to my parents about. And I don't know if my father was drunk at the time, but it was pretty bad. And so I think that plays into 
my ACA tendencies is that fear of authority and fear of consequences. Mm-hmm. I think that is like that there's some sort of a tattoo in my brain that, you know, that's affected by. Around that time too, when they separated, I also noticed that my father was making some sort of effort to be a little bit better, a better father. And so, yeah, my mom left my three, the three sisters ended up living with my dad in the house. My mom and my brother lived in a different house. And for the most part, I don't know what day-to-day life was like. Like, I'm sure we ate and I'm sure we did you know, that type of thing, but I don't really remember all the day-to-day things. My, we, as siblings, we just, me and my sisters, we don't really remember much of that time in terms of like, how were our basic needs met when it was just him living in the house? My sister was 19 or 20. I was, or my older sister was married. So it was just me and my younger sister living in that house. Um, we don't really remember much of it but I'm assuming that we ate and things like that yeah so my mom I basically detached relationship from my mom because every time I was around her she wanted to talk about the fact that my father was an alcoholic and all of this type of thing so yeah I just I I said to her the one time like I don't want to discuss this and if you're going to discuss this then I'm going to hang up the phone and um I think that happened and it was before the age of cell phones and texting. And I just kind of lost contact with her a little bit, but then got married. And um, I feel my brain is a bit dysregulated right now. Like it's really hot. It's just really like, there's a part of, I can feel it in my brain. Like there's a part Mm -hmm. is like, it's, it's like trying to suck me away into La La Ville and I don't, I don't want to go there because I think the more I talk about things, the more I train my brain to understand that it's okay to stay in reality, mm-hmm. commit, you know, committed to living in reality has been a really big thing for me. Um, and that by talking about it and moving through it with safe people, I'm teaching myself that I'm a safe person and that it's okay. Mm-hmm. So I just want to acknowledge for anyone who's listening that it's, you know, this is the physical, like I, I feel numbness around my eye and stuff like that. Um, is that typically where you feel, is that typically where you feel it in your body? Yeah, I feel it like my, the, uh, left side of my face will start to go numb. Even when I talk about my marriage issues, that's it's, I think it's part of the freeze. So the left side of my face mm-hmm. will go numb. Mm-hmm. I actually at one point thought I was having a stroke. Like I went to the mirror to go see if I was like having a stroke. So it felt like my whole face was contorting. And then um, I don't think it'll happen now, but I will start shivering really, really bad. And then I'll get like, I'll literally start like teeth chattering. Yeah. Just because. Because it's hard. It is hard. After my parents separated, I actually ended up having um, probably an unhealthy, but I I got the love that I wanted from my father and we became very connected. I don't think it was the healthiest thing, but I look back on it now and I know it happens even in, uh, it's a common thing that happens in destructive relationships. I see it even in my own, like 
in my own separated state uh -huh. is like the unhealthy children tend to, not all children, but some children will stick with the unhealthy parent because that unhealthy parent will start to show them love. And because mm -hmm. we don't know, you know, we don't know what the whole loaf is. And so we think crumbs is a seven course meal. Mm. It feels like our brains are so deprived of what it needs. It's so starved of it that when you give it a crumb of love and affection, it feels like you're nourishing them. Isn't that so, the truth? Ooh, yeah. I yeah. love that. Did you come up and with it yourself? The seven course. Yeah, over the years. Yeah, over that. the years. And it's really helped me to understand kind of like what happened, you know, how I got into the two relationships that I had one with my husband is like when, when you're living out of the lower half of your brain and you're living in survival mode and not even realizing it, right. When you're living in that kind of survival mode, unhealthy things look appealing. I, yeah. I actually recently heard this and thought it was amazing. Like at some point when people are starved, they'll start eating dirt I don't know if that was on your podcast or somewhere else, but they'll literally start eating dirt because they think that at least feeling something that feels like chewing and swallowing mm. is going to nourish them in some way. And so I'm not saying that my relationships were dirt, but they were <laughs> not close. healthy. Pretty close. <laughs> I know. I don't want to say that because they're just broken people too. Right. Like, yeah. so I just, I just believe that like, I just believe it's the brokenness and the hell in this world and the sin, whatever you want to put a name on it, evil. It's just, it affects us all and it affects those people too. Um, and so at that time, yeah, I had a, a pretty close relationship with my dad, whether you want to call it trauma bond or whatever, I still feel pretty close to my dad. I care about him. I love him. Um, how my dad ended up, Again, I still didn't realize that he was an alcoholic. I had no idea. I had a couple bad experiences with him where he, I stood up for myself in a situation and he kicked me out. Mm. And even though it was most likely because he was driving my car drunk, I had said to him, please don't drive my car that way. And he got really angry with me. I was in the car with him and I don't know why he was doing it. Maybe he wasn't drunk, but he was definitely driving erratically. I asked him not to drive my car like that. He told me that that was not right for me to talk to him that way as a daughter. And he, he was trying to explain himself. And I went back down, but this was something that my father did. He would talk and talk and talk. And then he would say, you're just not listening to me. You're just not listening to me. And I would say, mm -hmm. my sister and I, we had this phrase. We were like, we are listening to you. We hear exactly what you're saying. We just don't agree with you. But he had this philosophy that if he could just keep talking, that at some point we would agree with him because it, whatever he was talking about made sense to him. Anyway, I went back down, back down, and he grabbed me and I grabbed onto like a pedestal sink in the bathroom. And he went to go like physically remove me from the house mm. and I wouldn't let go. So the sink actually like came off the wall, which we laughed about afterwards which is really weird but for months while that sink was like partly off the wall we would like it, we made a joke out of it I guess anyway so he's pulling me and I wouldn't 
grabbed my arm. He ended up grabbing my neck mm. at one point. And then he pushed me out of the, the house, like near the door. I wasn't quite out of the house, but I was in like the shoe area. And I remember standing there and I thought, where am I going to go? And I started to think of all the things like, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? And I could see things in my mind that I had done wrong in that situation. And so I went back, he was sitting in his chair. It was a big lazy boy chair. And I sat down with him and I said, I'm really sorry. And he said, he said this nickname for me, it was Mumsh. And he's, he didn't always say it, but he said it that night. And he said, I forgive you. Mm. Mumsh, M-U-M-S-H. Mumsh. Mumsh. This isn't really right. Anyway, I don't know if it's a Dutch thing. I don't know, but (laughs) yeah. No. And so he said, I forgive you. Mm. And I think that was kind of, a really disturbing, you know, reality of what, you know, if I call someone out on their stuff, they get angry at me. I look at, analyze what I did in this situation, and then I try to do better. Oh, I can't relate to that at all right now. (laughs) Yeah, right? I know. And he for a long time because of that moment and what it felt like when we were sitting on that chair together, how close like and loving it felt. We looked back on that event as something like really touching and good. But now as a 44, 45 year old adult, I look back on that and I see how sick it was. Mm-hmm. How really twisted it was, you know? I relate. But yeah. You know, it. we just, it is the unhealthy bond that happens between people. I obviously wasn't healthy because I grew up in this mm-hmm. environment. He wasn't healthy. And yet we still had a bond. Mm-hmm. We still had a bond. So my um, years, my husband had mentioned a couple things to me like, hey, I walked in and your dad was like drinking straight out of the bottle. And I was like, so like it was at a wedding they were cleaning up. I just thought, Oh, he took a swig out of a bottle. My brain didn't goes into denial and minimization a lot. Like I need people in my life to like, make sure that I, um, am seeing reality clearly. Another time he was helping us move and he opened up a bottle of wine that we were saving. It was like a, from our wedding and he just started drinking it. And he's like, Oh, I didn't realize that was from your wedding. Sorry. And I was like, Oh, it's okay. Like, it's no problem. But now looking back on it, like most people, if you're at their house and you wanted some wine, you would say, hey, do you have a wine opener and a glass? Like you would ask, right? But I think he had this urge to drink, mm-hmm. um, you know, that caused him to drink before he really thought of the consequences. Mm-hmm. After my brother got married, a f- just shortly after that, I think my dad had some sort of emotional rock bottom. He was remarried. My parents were divorced, got divorced. Then, then they got remarried. My dad was, um, he got into a car accident really bad. And, you know, my mom said, oh, it's because he was drinking and driving, but I didn't believe it. Um, he was changing a light bulb in a vaulted ceiling in their house and he fell and he would have fallen down to the basement because the stairway 
And mm-hmm. anyway, just the way that it went, like it was, and he fell and he went like he, the banister caught him. Mm-hmm. So he was all bruised up really bad. And I remember him telling us this story at a dinner. And I don't think I was like, I think I was partly dissociated while he was telling me. I was already experiencing my own marriage things. And so he looked at me and he was kind of angry. And he said to me, I know exactly what you're thinking. And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but I promise you that I'm not thinking whatever you're thinking, anything. But I think in that moment, he, as he was telling that story, he thought I saw him as a drunk. Mm hmm even though I did not have the ability, even at 25 or older, I could not see past the good in him. Mm -hmm. I really couldn't. I, and I'm not saying like I'm in denial as in I see the truth and I'm choosing to, I really could not see it. I couldn't see it. And he called me, he had a really bad breakdown his second marriage almost fell apart. He called up my aunt who is a counselor and she came, even though she was kind of afraid to come because he got really angry at her one time. And he called me on the phone and he said, he was crying. He felt a lot of shame. And he said, I'm going to go to rehab. I was like, I am so proud of you. I remember exactly where I was standing when I had that phone call. I said, I'm so proud of you. I love you. I'm so proud of you. He stayed in rehab for a couple months. We went to this meeting, like where the family was supposed to go. And we did that as a family. He came out early. I think he drank again once, but he just quit. He just quit. Like, I think he has other emotional issues. He still has his issues, but I think what my dad didn't want to do in rehab, and this is just speculation. I don't think he wanted to do the digging. Mm -hmm. I don't think, I think in his, his brain has protected, has created such a mental wall around Mm -hmm. how his father treated him, Mm -hmm. abuse from other people, almost being drowned by somebody, Mm. all of the rejection that he feels from the church all of the shame he's created this mental wall around it. And so he doesn't drink, um, but he really hasn't dealt with his stuff. And that's, it's sad. It's sad. It is sad. First of all, let me just acknowledge that was very coherent and beautiful. And thank you for sharing all of that. It was very insightful. I was thinking about this last night. Like, how am I going to tell my story? Like it's so long like there's so many things that have happened in my life that are just so complicated and hard Mm -hmm. and how am I gonna how how am I gonna and how am I gonna how am I gonna show love and respect Mm -hmm. and I know a lot of people will say well they don't they don't deserve love and respect when they use you and manipulate you and whatever and I guess I I don't know maybe it's still part of my commitment to not live in reality And to overly see the sunny side things in life. I just think that when a soul is brought to earth, Mm. it's a very pure and wonderful thing. And the sin and the hell in this world in different ways affects that soul. And it develops into something 
that wounds others. And I'm guilty of that as well. You know, and I think that's the part that I love. And I want to show respect to that part of every human being that is the, the core of who they are. And I believe that whatever happens after we die, what we are going to see after this world, I'm hoping, like this is my dream, that this is, you know, power of the universe's plan, is that what will happen is we will get to know people as they were meant to be. Mm. I really would like that. Me too. Me too. I realized throughout this journey that I was always looking to men mm. to save me. And part of that is programming from the church because men are supposed to protect and love and all that kind of stuff. And I came to some really hard, um, you know, through some really hard things with my church and with um, different men in my life. And I just came to this point where that had to die you know we talk in christian culture about idols and i think an idol is anything that kind of stands in the way of having stable connection with god and out of that stability have connection with other human beings mm -hmm. i think that my looking to men has earned its rightful place it's been demoted to its rightful place mm. it makes me kind of sad to lay that idle down mm -hmm. because I it was so part of my programming mm -hmm. but I realized that I don't need to look to man the other thing that I've really grown is through a course that I was doing I realized that I had a a preoccupation or an obsession with peace and love when you come out of dysfunction you just want people to be nice mm -hmm. you just want people to calm down love each other, you know, have a ruckus fun time, but like, don't be hurting people, cutting down people, whatever. And I often manipulated myself and others to create a false sense of peace. Mm -hmm. So I would hide things. I would take on extra responsibilities. I would um, starve myself sometimes all to get love and to not rock the boat. Mm. And then when I hit my emotional butt, I just realized that there is no such thing as an Amy that can show up and always create and make everybody feel love and peace. That mm. is my responsibility to do for myself and to shine out into the world. But just because I shine that out into the world doesn't mean that the world or other people owe me that they have to be loving and peaceful. Like they can be who they can be, the wannabe, and I can still maintain, you know, I'm responsible for me. I think my level of self-awareness has really grown. How has this recovery shifted your experience as a parent? Oh my goodness. Oh, I was listening to your podcast today and, um, and it made me really sad in, in the culture that I grew up in, you know, you don't spare the rod. You don't, it, it really caused me, this whole journey has caused me to question really what I just to question, to no longer just take what people tell me as truth, mm -hmm. 
but to stop putting man in between me and God and start just connecting to God and, and listening to that long, long time ago, I had felt really convicted that, you know, when Christians say spare the, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child. So therefore you should be spanking and hitting your child and there should be physical punishments. I remember years ago thinking the shepherd does not hit his sheep with the rod. The rod is to protect the sheep from the wolves. The reality is my kids are going to be ACA. And I want to create a space that says, hey, you know what? I screwed up. This is how I screwed up. I should have maybe separated earlier. I definitely should have been more open in, in getting help with that other person that was coming into my life. Mm-hmm. I was protecting them often, although I did tell people here and there, but I couldn't ever really, I know my my husband or ex-husband, he would say to me, like, why didn't you tell me? I was like, you would blow up when I hit your car with the school bus I was driving. Like I had to listen to that for six months. Do you think, and luckily I had counselors that were, were willing to do that, but I, I'm open with my kids about my mistakes. I'm also, I've, I've told my children too, if anything that I did hurt you and you need me to sit in a counseling room with a therapist and you need me to listen to you, I'm here. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm here. I did, I did not do things properly. You know, you, you had that guest on actually like today and he Mm. was talking about how, you know, he was supposed to stay in his room and his parents had a lock on the outside of the door. I did that to my oldest child, but the house that, we moved into had a latch on the door and obedience was just like, you know, like I did this course called growing kids God's way or, and baby wise. And part of that course was like, you know, you teach your children how to be obedient. And our oldest son would often come out of his room at night. And it was important that when he goes to bed, he obeys. And I don't know, we would unlock it like as soon as he fell asleep, but I did that. And you know, it's, it's easy for me to talk about how people did things that hurt me. But what do you do when, you, when you've gone into somebody else's life and you've smashed things? You're doing it. I think that's the ACA, the part that wants to rescue and fix. You just come to a point where you realize that you don't have the power to rescue and fix. No, but you have the opportunity to heal, you know, and that's the absolute best way that you can do providing the environment for others to heal as well. And God, what would so many of us do to hear our parents say, if you ever want to go into a therapist room and express to me how you, how I've hurt you, God, we would all die for that. Your kids are very lucky to have you as a mother. I mean that. Thank you. I never, like when I was growing up, all I wanted to do was get married and have a huge family. Mm-hmm. And my, my husband didn't, for, you know, various reasons, having children was really scary for him. And so that was just something in the area that he controlled. And um, I never in a million years thought that my 
life would be at this point. Like I just thought the way that my mom could have kept her marriage together would be to be kinder and more loving and do what my dad wants and don't do what my dad doesn't want. And so that's how, and I thought that was the key to marriage. And that's what I tried to do in my marriage. And it, it literally drove me to my, I guess to the, it drove me right to the place I needed to be to have a life of freedom. Yeah. To that big ass butt. Big. It was like, when you say, when was your emotional butt? Like, I just, you know, when you're screaming in your bathroom, like a caged animal, like, I don't know if it could get any worse. Yeah. I can get any but more buddy. (laughs) (laughs) At least it's definite. Like there's no question about it. That was the time. Yeah. But the great thing about the bottom. No if, ands, or buts. (laughs) But the great thing about it is it's that point where you realize you've come to the end of yourself and you need help. You need community. And that's what I was missing. I was missing just true, authentic community. Now you got a whole bunch of shit shows. I know. We have fun. I know. Humans. I love it. Humans. Okay. So what are three things that you like about yourself? I am kind. I'm not going to say that I'm always kind. Sometimes I get okay, a little snarky. Okay. You're kind. No disclaimers. <laughs> <laughs> None of that shit. <laughs> I can see people. I like that. I can always see the soul. Mm. No matter how much darkness and how much shit show and how much whatever I can always see the ember of who who a human is that's beautiful hope dream for the future I would like to continue healing I never had insurance and the Ontario government doesn't cover some major types of therapy Mm -hmm. so in many ways I think I'm doing really really well like in terms of healing and that sort of thing um but I recently disclosed to my doctor that sometimes I feel the urge to hit myself in the head and it's just an actual urge like I don't do it but I feel it. Like, I feel like there's this voice that just says, if I bash my head against the wall, then things will be better. And so I just mentioned that to her and she is um, going to suggest that maybe, you know, and, and appar- apparently OHIP will cover it, which is good. So healing, definitely. Um, so maybe that urge is peace. a good thing. <laughs> Pardon? Maybe that urge is a blessing. I think it, I think it was. And I think too, the support group has really helped me because I think the first time I went to the doctor's office, I didn't express my needs because I was afraid. Mm. And the next time I, and then I like literally made an appointment with her to talk about like complex, the differences between complex post-traumatic stress and ADD because I have a really hard time reading and retaining information. So I went to go to talk to her about that. And she said, you know, it, it might be. It might be like, it's hard to tell which is which. And so she said, you know, this list that you made me coupled with the fact that you um, have these urges sometimes 
I think it's good that you see a therapist and I've never been able to afford an actual, like, you know, I've always gone to counselors, but I've never gone to therapists. And she said, maybe there's healing for you. Maybe we can heal some of this stuff. So amazing. Yeah. So that would be my hope. Well, this has been beautiful. I love this. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I feel a connection to you. I do believe in the power of the spirit and the power of God. And so flipping through social media and finding your TikTok was a godsend. I had no idea. Thank you. I had no idea. You found me. You found me. Well, that wraps up Shit Show Saturday. As always, sign up for the Patreon. That is where I host weekly support groups. And it's where you say thanks, Andrea, for all that you do. Patreon.com slash adult child. Follow me on TikTok and Instagram at adult child pod. And give me a damn five star rating on Apple and Spotify. And I will see y'all shit shows on Wednesday. Bye. Let it all go.